This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. In this much-anticipated follow-up, Joe and Matthew again join artist Scott Ingram at his home. They get his parting thoughts on his recent exhibition that was literally demolished. By any also discussed, Joe leads the witness. The educational industrial complex is debated, and Scott hints at his next project. This is episode 48, part two of Scott Ingram and the Bigger Pond. Because the first part was recorded in a lead up to Till the Lights Go Out. Yep. And so here we are, months later. The lights are out. The lights have been out. What were the surprises? It kind of went as planned. Did it? It was shockingly so. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, uh, I w- uh, no, I do have a surprise. I did have a surprise. The attendance was crazy. It was. The attendance was uh, uh, sh- down, downright shocking. Uh, the level the- of excitement yes. across the board. Yeah. 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 Which it, is, it's got to be a nice surprise for you because, I mean, not that people don't. Yeah. I mean, shows, it did me. exactly what I wanted it to do. A, it gave all of these artists that never get the opportunity to show together the opportunity to show together. And, and it looked great. Yeah. And, you know, just the fun of installing that thing for a week. You know, it, 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 that, that, all of that worked out perfectly. It was, it was really great. The thing I did not anticipate was the attendance. I did not expect it to be that good. And um, the number of people that came back, and some of them almost every weekend, or like every other weekend during the run of the show, and just spending time in the space. And the uh, the number of people that showed up for the artist talk was really pretty spectacular. And, and um, on a really really rainy morning. Yeah, yeah, it was a dog day. Yeah. It was it was a rough day, and and um, people came running up with umbrellas in the rain. You know, it was it was, it was great. So, I mean, that is such a, that was such a huge space, and you know, a lot of shows I always thought look, you know, a lot of people's work looked great in such a uh, large, you know, empty, reflecting off the floor. But mm-hmm. I mean, you actually, I think, in terms of the artists that you selected. Uh, it's it's overused, but in terms of like really using that space, I mean, suddenly it yeah, felt yeah it didn't feel like cavernous. Well, I wanted I wanted to see if I could create something that was almost an extension of my artistic practice mm-hmm. and using the artist as a medium. I wasn't thinking about it in terms of curating something. I was thinking about it in terms of utilizing the space in a different way mm-hmm. and. Uh, you, you know, originally when uh, Laura and I started talking about it, she offered me the space to do my own just massive installation in, and I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to, I want to take this opportunity. You know, I had just been in St. Louis with William for his uh, installation at Cam, and I was like, that's what I want. I want, I want that part of my community involved, and I want to, I want to kind of move this thing around in a way that. Um, gives a lot of people a piece of the pie and a part of the exposure. And um, I felt like it worked. I really felt like it worked. Plus, how long would that take, you know, if you think about it, for one artist to 
really maximize that space. That's probably a year's worth of work, wouldn't you think? Yeah. 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 Well, and not to mention how much it would cost. Well, square footage, what are we talking about? Just... Just for those that are it's not about familiar 8, with this. thousand square feet. 8,000 square feet. I mean, the, the actual exhibition, the portion of it that we used was mm-hmm. about 8,000 square feet. Massive. So, yeah, it's big. And there was, a, you know, there's another 2,000 that was storage space in the back. And, yeah. And we uh, had talked about using that. Um, but the gallery was still kind of in transition, moving into yeah. their new space and the whole thing. So we didn't end up using that space just because they... We kind of needed a back of house, and they were still mm-hmm. had storage back there and stuff, so we just didn't use it. But I thought it worked out really well. And and the other thing yeah. that I really liked is um, I loved that uh, Howard Gallery um, had curated that space and just brought in a bunch of people from Athens. That that was another surprise for me as I'm as I'm thinking about it now. Um, I met some really cool people in that. Mm-hmm. And some of, some people in that show I knew, a majority of them I did not. And I think it's great because you can go by the space now and Jess's piece is still up on the wall of the building outside. Just exposed, It's been exposed to the element for, I don't know, four or five months now. Yeah. And it's just sitting out there in all of its glory. It's kind of kind of great. So we don't... The purpose of our conversations is not to provide like a forum for reviews or anything like that. We don't do that. But I do want to say that I think that not only was it a good show for anybody uh, that, that had the opportunity to view it, I think it was an important show for Atlanta. I really do. And still, um, you know, when did it come down? It was how many months ago? The building came down in um, January. Yeah. So it's um, been down for six months. So it lives on in what kind of documentation? Well, there's a video we're working on. We're still editing footage uh-huh. from the video because we we used uh, eight GoPros and oh. and um, uh, in the end, um, it didn't get filmed the way I thought it would originally because what I was told was going to happen didn't really happen, and mm, I was originally told that the. Uh, um, you know, there would be an excavator that came in from the south side of the building and started ripping out everything and right up to our cameras, you know. And it's not at all what happened because they had to kind of surgically remove that building from the adjacent building. Um, so most of the demo was done by hand and, um, and with a bobcat. So it's a very different demo situation yeah. than than we had originally talked about, thought about, and why I wasn't privy to that information after all the phone calls and meetings and stuff. I have no idea, but but um, oh, there's a choreography there. There, but I mean, I, I mean, realistically though, when they took the when they did take the building down, that's the way they did it. I, you know, maybe this was just me as an artist. I didn't ask the right question. Are you going to come in and demo by hand first, or is there some other thing that has to happen? I, how am I to know? I'm not a demo or who guy. knows what they found but, when they, you know, you're, yeah. you're thinking, yeah, we're just going to tear this. Oh yeah, so, yeah, well, yeah. I can't. But I, I think the important thing about the way they did it was it did tie back to the original inspiration for the show, which was um, um, ISIS going into museums and destroying stuff with sledgehammers and pushing sculptures over and stuff like that. So in many ways, 
um, it was maybe a little more true to um, to the original inspiration. So that was kind of that was kind of nice in a way, I guess. Um, but the other thing that's kind of cool about it was um, the footage is just so brutal, and it's like it's like guys smashing stuff, you know, and yeah. like just. There's some amazing footage there of like uh, this guy with just a sledgehammer. He never sets the hammer down. He just single-handedly destroyed all of my cinder blocks hanging in the middle of the space from the ratchet straps. He just knocks them all out like one at a time, just like, and never sets the hammer down. He doesn't even set it down when he's done smashing all the blocks. He just kind of puts his arms up in the air with the sledgehammer. And (laughs) I mean, the guy's like four feet tall. He's a short guy. And he just went through them. It was amazing. Is he performing in a way? Does he know that the camera? He yeah, they, they knew yeah. the cameras were on us, and they didn't they didn't care that the cameras were on yeah. them. And, and uh, um, he was, I think he was a little bit performing, but he ended up being a really. They were really cool guys. I yeah. liked them all. Didn't speak a lick of English, but um, and we could, you know, we're just communicating by laughing and, and really? watching them do this stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's amazing. But and they they started out actually with my nail polish drawing in the back, and they just went in and just literally. Punched holes in it, grabbed sheets, and just ripped it off the wall. And I'm like, whoa! <laughs> it's amazing. And, you know, like a lot of the footage, too, like when they got the bobcat out, really sort of, we have a great shot of um, the bobcat driving through Pete Schulte's drawing, uh-huh. his wall drawing, just like right through the wall. It's really? <laughs> it's great. Wow. It's great. There's some really cool stuff. But um, the dust was getting so bad. And it's part of why um, we haven't gotten all the editing done yet is because there's we really... We've got to figure out, is this like a 30-second video? Is this a, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know what, we don't know what it's going to be yet, but yeah. we're still working on it. What's the takeaway from a creative process standpoint for you? You mean in terms of my own practice or in terms yeah. of the, the future of this kind of thing? No, for you, your practice. Um, the takeaway was the generosity of the artists. They all came in. I asked them to do things that you don't ask mm-hmm. artists to do. Yeah. And they all did it. Yeah. And they, such as just creating this, putting the effort in, in the way that they did and the quality of the work. Yeah. And then just letting me destroy it and film it, you know? And, and, um, I think that most of them saw that it was a really unique opportunity. Yeah. And um, something that's really important, and there is a parallel between this thing coming down mm-hmm. and the ecology of our art circles and our mm-hmm. buildings and our mm-hmm. spaces um, shifting and changing. And, and um, I think they all kind of stepped up to that, and it's it's it was really nice to see that. I agree. Yeah, I wonder on some hand though, doesn't that uh, take the pressure off in a way? You know, it's you have a finite amount of time to make it. The opening's on such and such a day, and then it's coming down. Like, and there's some epic work there. I mean, in terms of yeah, there was some, there was some, and, and that's part of it too. That's what kind of what I'm saying is, no one phoned it in. Like everybody yeah, kind of no, came and that's and absolutely right. Brought their A game and yeah, and um, I mean, there's some beautiful photographs that came out of it too. It would have been so easy to just go in and do something and make a contribution and not the contribution that they made and and all of them did it as with all brain fuzz podcast episodes you can find out more and link to related material 
at brainfuzzpodcast.com. The conversation turns to biennials. Given recent controversy surrounding the Whitney Biennial specifically, the topic is timely. Sure. Sure. Yeah. The the reaction to <clears throat> biennials that I've heard and that I've read recently is tepid. The Whitney Biennial specifically. And there are highlights that, you know, in, in, in my mind, things that I, I you know, I, I saw something on the first floor I liked. Or I saw, but for the most part, it was a very homogenous kind of, so if we say that's a survey, I don't really know that it was a survey. No, it's not. Well, there was no, there was no one from our area there. Yeah. I mean, in the Whitney. Yeah. Well, it's a survey according to the curators. Yeah. Right. Right. That's you know, Which, it's always going to be that. You know. But yeah. You know. I mean, it's funny. I've been I've been scouted for the Whitney twice mm-hmm. in past years. Mm-hmm. Not this last year, but years. And yeah, I mean, it's disappointing if you don't get picked. But at the end of the day, they've got shipping to do. They've got to get artists up there. Mm-hmm. There's so much money involved in producing that show. And, you know, I mean, it's like, it's not uncomfortable with this show. Mm-hmm. I had to do it local. I couldn't, I didn't have a budget to bring people in to do anything. So I had to do it local. I invited a couple people from out of town. And when I realized what it was going to take to get them here, I didn't feel like it was their job to pay to get here to do it. And so I cut them. But, you know, I mean, in terms of the Whitney, I mean, the, the process of finding those people is only it's as limited as what the curator knows. Sure, and who they know. Yes, and from there, I, uh, you get what you get. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, they always, you know, yeah. We think about it as a survey. It's not a survey. It's not a survey. It hasn't been a survey or an accurate survey. They don't have the square footage to do an accurate survey. No. Why do you That's think <laughs> artists That's put true. such a high... Like To me, it's like, why is that just something that you just don't even think about at this point? Like the Whitney. Everyone, every, every time uh, it comes out, everyone just writes these, these scathing reviews. Of well, listen, as an artist, it can only help you. Oh, oh, sure, yeah, sure, but, of course. Um, but it's, 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 it, it's kind of like the painting that doesn't sell. You know? Like... If the painting sells, great. I made some money. If it doesn't sell, you're still in the same place as you were. And when I think about it, yeah, it's, it sucks to get passed over for this kind of thing. And But it's also but great to be considered. It, it is if you're really considered. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. So, I, which, I mean, and I don't know. I, I mean, again, it goes back mm-hmm. to the whole thing. Like, what, 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 what's the criteria? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Is there one artist in Atlanta and they can send one truck down to get one artist's work <laughs> yeah. and send it back up there? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There are plenty of people in Atlanta that, that would fit into that show and would hold their own. Mm-hmm. There really are. There are quite a few people, artists in Atlanta right yeah, now, I, I think, agree. that could easily hold their own in the Whitney Biennial. But this, so this idea of a survey, right? Yeah. In the case of this show, yep. it is a survey of sorts. Of sorts. Every show is a survey of sorts, right? Yeah. I mean, 
to go back to your point, how I mean, how could you truly do a real survey of everything going on? Like, what is going on right now? There's always like a curatorial focus. In this case, in this show's case, there is more the feeling of community. Yeah. Than survey. Absolutely. Well, I think like the drawing shows that that. Michael Rooks and the High yeah. put on in the, in the last like, yeah. that's the closest parallel where I think you suddenly see that's this yeah. Yeah. Uh, snapshot in its current work because yeah. how you know sometimes you see these shows and someone's pulling out work that's two mm-hmm. five years old mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and this, in your case no, I agree. it was all like this is yeah. paint's not even dry that's um, true yeah yeah no I think that's true I think that's actually true use the whole year to do it makes perfect sense <laughs> You know, I yeah. mean, which would be an interesting thing, you know, just in terms of uh, thinking about square footage and having an accurate survey and the number of people that would have to be involved and this and the that and blah, blah, blah. What if that was the deal? What if they did a year long biennial at the Whitney and they looked at it regionally? They've got a year of programming then and they're looking at regions. One well, time. it's funny. I don't that know. is the most sober take on it that I have. Well, well I don't let me get another cogent, if, cogent and sober. If either of you saw the uh, it's a July fifth uh, New York Times where they were mapping, but, uh, and of course, like no surprise, you know, they show like every artist that's ever been in it and where they lived, and of course, it's heavily New York centric. I mean, it started out as a New York neighborhood kind of survey, but it's funny, like the one year where there was the anomaly where suddenly there was a bunch of people. From Chicago, it's like, oh, surprise, surprise, it's Michelle Grabner and the other curator who I never can remember, but who also is from Chicago. Sure. And, like, sure. Cause, and you said it. Sure. And no disrespect, but that no. kind of backyard, of course you're going to go with yeah, who you yeah. know and well, champion listen, your friends. And You know, I mean, it's funny to me. When I start looking out there at curators that would have the best comprehension of what's happening across the country. Yeah. Who is that? That's impossible. I had it unless you're traveling yeah. all the time. Yeah, you would yeah. have to have, seriously, and I kid you not. This you would have to have AI do it. You would have to have artificial intelligence. Well, maybe that's the step. answer. I think that's the answer. We'll do a year long. It's a biennial because with using artificial intelligence. What amazed me is if you in this Whitney situation. All right, if you look at that, mm-hmm. you would walk away thinking. Everyone is making work about a limited range of subjects. Let's just leave it at that. Sure. All right? That almost everyone's doing that. I would say 80% of people are making work about these specific things. So they, I, I can't help but look at this and think that there's some sort of curatorial bias that's being applied. Right? So in terms of an accurate Is it a bias or is it a limitation? Uh, Yeah. Could be, could could be, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, it's just interesting to me because when I kind of look across the board and I start thinking about like, like I think of, I think about Franklin Sermon. I had my first studio visit with him in 1999, and there has been a conversation with him for 20 years. I'm not the only person he's doing that with. But he's coming to Atlanta on a somewhat regular basis. And granted, he has a job. <laughs> he yeah. He's not looking for something else to do. Um, but 
it takes a person like that who, and he's not doing that just here. He was in L.A. for years. Mm-hmm. He's been in New York. He's yeah. in New York yeah. all the time. He, I don't care who you're talking to, he already knows that artist. And they're, he's just one of those people. He puts his nose in all of a it. A maven. And, and he's been doing it for a long time. Which is, yeah. But the first time he did a studio visit with me, I'll never forget it. He walked into my thing, into my studio, and he's like, I've got 15 minutes. That's all they've given me time for. And he was curating the Atlanta Biennial that year, which he put me in. And he honed in on these Ellsworth Kelly redrawings that I was doing at the time, and that's what he put in the show. But we sat down and had a conversation about Judd, about Kelly, about uh, everything. Everything. Things that I was just like... And he was, you know, we're about the same age, too. And 20 years ago, I was like, God, this guy knows a lot about a lot. Add 20 years, several curatorial positions, directorship at a museum. He's in all of it. Go talk to him about Cuban art. Go talk to him about, I mean, anything. And he'll talk to you about it. And you will have a good conversation. Because he knows. And and I, I I just keep thinking, who... There has to be more of those people out there. There have to be. But that only comes with time and maturity. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And That's what I'm saying. Wow. They, they, it, it's... Yeah. It's, it's crazy. That's... I mean, bias is the million-dollar word there. Because, like, we all... We like what we like. We stretch to sure. look at... So how, you've been doing this for a while, which is commendable, or insa- or insanity. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, and you find, I guess you have to kind of find your people. I'm leading the witness here. But, you know, how do you, um, how have you been able to navigate, like, in terms of, like, with the constant changing of the trends or the, you know, what's in fashion, what isn't? I don't think about it. You have to do what you do. I mean, I... I do a lot... The the thing that I do is I do enough different things to keep myself entertained. There are enough different bodies of work I'm working on at any one given time that I can can entertain myself. I can stay busy. I I get that. But I just mean, like, I'm I'm putting the the career hat on. You know, like, when you're talking Uh, about, like, the Whitney and, like this show or that show or inclusion, you know, or curators coming by, like, how do you, you know, there's gotta be times when, uh, for any artist where you're not what's in vogue at the moment. I'm not in vogue right now at all. Any survival strategy? Like, how do you, you know, and you're, Um, you know, like looking at social media, what's that do for you yet? You know, I'm assuming, you know, I'm really shying away from social media. I can't, I can't, I just can't do it. I can't do it. Like Instagram, I'm posting maybe a picture a, a week now. Um, I'm not even doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm I, and honestly, when I'm on Instagram, I'm, I'm just trolling the feed and it's, it's mild entertainment. But, um, you know, I mean, it's funny though, cause I have picked up a lot of, uh, I've, I've kind of, um, I've grabbed a couple of, um, pages on there that are pretty art heavy and and I typically don't do art stuff on Instagram 
Like, I don't follow a lot of art galleries and stuff like that. and I just don't. I follow more architecture, more fashion, um, food. So it feeds you. Things outside of the, okay. the, the visual arts. Got it. But, um, but I have, um, I would say in the last, like, three months, though, I've, I've had a couple people that have kind of really gotten my interest up, and, and I've, I've gone pretty deep on, probably add, like, 100 pages to of things that I'm looking at now on there. Maybe not quite 100, but 75. But um, it's, it's a time suck. At the end of the day, social media is a time suck. And generally, I'm pissed off when I get off of it. Yeah. And I just don't like to be in that place. I don't care. It's all temporary. All this is temporary. You know, the politics, the, the what's right. in vogue, the whole thing, it's all temporary. So, in my mind, I just got to keep moving forward on what it is that I'm doing. And the best way for me to stay focused is to go back to the studio and make something else. You just got to put time in. Yeah, you know? I mean, I hear that over and over, but it, why does it seem that, you you know, if you're not, have at least a toe in on social media, you know, that you're just going to disappear? We all did it before social media. And I keep going back to this whole thing of like, I was fine before it. I'll be fine without it now. But I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's healthy to always have these... Uh, Oh, so and so showing here and doing this, and yeah. the, oh, it's, it becomes competition. And I'm not a competitive person. I want everybody to win. I don't really care. There is something that it does to you. There's yeah. social media makes you feel like you are less than, and it's it's a terrible feeling. And I I don't I don't like it. I don't support it. I find myself complaining on Facebook more than anything. I, just, I, don't, I don't feel like I need it, really. I don't think it's important. I really I, don't. I think the thing that is always the most maddening is even like you go to shows and it, uh, people aren't really looking at the work, but they're busy, sh- you know, composing the shot for whatever, Instagram or whatever, yeah, you, so they can sure. say, I was at blah, 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 and great, you know, good stuff, yeah. amazing. And I just kind of wonder, like, I feel like sometimes if I suddenly... I'm I'm too busy with the phone trying to compose. Like I'm not in the moment. I'm not. Yep. Yeah. You're absent. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like I'm, t- I'm going Amish again. Well, you're having a relationship with the screen and not with the the, the thing you're actually there to see. We we were talking about this the other day. I had a, a brain fuzz along that I ran into while we were looking at a lot of work, and I just ran into him. He was he was off kind of on a bench in this art fairs and kind Is of he drunk. Environment. No. Oh. Uh, no, no, and it was the middle of the day, and he was oh, kind of sitting, and I was just, and I, and I had that art glaze, like I had looked at too much. Yeah, and I, and and I just said to him, yeah, this is somebody I admired, prolific, and um, I said, that's a lot of work. And he was like, that's why I quit looking at it years ago, and and I've always kind of gone, come back to that and thought. All right, at what point is it feeding you, and at what point is it a distraction? If you're consuming so much via Instagram, which I do enjoy seeing some of the stuff that sure. I see on Instagram, but you do have to ask that question, is it, is it really feeding you, or is it distracting you? It's distracting. The, the I net, find, I find it is a distraction. I find it distracting. But, you know, I mean, it's funny. Like, I may post, uh, 
I post all kinds of stuff. And at the end of it all, I'll go back through the page every once in a while when I'm trying to find a picture because I know I post it on Instagram and it's easier to go back through that than it is to go through the photos on my phone. Right. And <laughs> there, it, it, it's like this curatorial project of your yeah. life, you know, yeah. like, like out, you know, like Downs is always posting pictures of like orange cones and oh, stuff. Yeah. And it's just like, he's got hundreds of pictures of construction that. sites, and oh, orange cones, love and that. guys in yellow vests. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and it's like after a while, it just like, it becomes part of the work or part of his work. And in this weird kind of way, but, um, I think it informs people that are following you when you put things on there. But I put such a range of stuff that it hasn't been until, I don't know, a couple hundred posts that you're like, oh, there's actually That's some sense it. to this. Yeah, there's a, there's yeah. Some, yeah. Some, something about this. There's, you know, like I, <laughs> I, I follow this guy and he just posts pictures of like sheetrock patterns and stuff like that. And I'm just like... I do that too, you know, like, it's like, I don't know. I just don't feel necessarily compelled to, to post all the time or to be involved in that way all the time because I just, I don't know. You said earlier, you're, you're going to make what you make. Mm Mm-hmm. Do the trends, any of this, do they influence you at all? Or are you, I'm going to make what I make. Like, and you can't help but get information and be informed by things. You're talking about trends in the art? You know, there's always the, like, how am I, you know, tactical, you know, how am I going to do this or how am I going to do that? And you're always, you know. Sure. But I would say trends in you know, the zeitgeist. I don't like to pay attention to that. I think it's like anything. There's so many artists that they'll fall off the map mm-hmm. yeah, for 10 years, maybe longer, maybe 20 years. And then somebody's going to pick them up and run with that ball again. And in my mind, I always have to keep, I have to stay on track with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And as long as I'm doing that, Mm -hmm. if it, if there's a lull for a while, there's just a lull for a while, find something to do, make something else. Mm -hmm. But again, going back to having multiple bodies of work, Mm -hmm. I'll find that I may do a sheetrock painting. Mm Mm-hmm for three months and then I'll go back to doing nail polish and then I'll go do more architecturally based stuff and then it's just it's always jumping around and it's and it's a conversation that continues and as long as the conversation continues you don't worry about the trends people will find you and I I I feel like it's so dangerous when people are paying attention to trends. They end up screwing themselves. I I just don't think it's, I don't think that's healthy. If you're paying attention to trends that much, you are not making your art. Agreed. You're making someone else's work. I can agree. Or you're making just a product. And that's not, that's not where I'm at. And what's also interesting is that the the market, the buyers, and then the uh, criticism, they're not coupled necessarily. You, you may have buyers, but it may not be 
trendy with the criticism, right? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, hey, listen. There's politically whatever, however you want to deal with it. There was this article that came out on Scully a few months back, and how he's 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 what, what the, the article says. He's like the Donald Trump of the of the art world, and it's like for, I think his paintings are terrible. I don't see a lot of them that I really like. That's all beside the point. Usually there are people go back to bringing figure in, though, right? Versus... No, I'm just saying him in general. Okay. Uh, I, 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 it's, a, it's a product at this point. I mean, the guy flies around on private jets, and he's, you know, he's got his multiple homes, and this, this, and the that. And but don't you think you could say that? Like, remember the piece on Mark... Is it Crochon? Same. I, I, where yeah. suddenly everyone's like... Yeah you know, anointing him as the greatest thing ever. And I was like, really? Okay. Sure. Yeah. For how long? For now. Yeah, for how long? Yeah. I'm glad he's making a good living and whatever. I yeah. Know. I mean, and he, listen, he's not working a desk job. He's not digging ditches. He's, he's, you know, whatever. I, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, 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 I just think that, um, you can get, politically involved if you want. You can go through the whole thing if you want. It's, at the end of the day, I, I, don't, I don't think it matters. I really don't. Do you feel that now there are some currents where artists are, and even call, you know, to use that word, but, you know, they have this career path before, like, maybe the work is even, the work seems to be secondary versus I've got to be in this, I've got to do this residency. Oh, I mean, I've known plenty of artists like that. I mean, I, that's, sure. that's, it seems like so much work. I mean, God. I, I, yeah. But do you, do you yeah. think it's worse, or is it just my view right now? Well, I don't know. I get. I guess at the end of the day, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to make work, or do you want to make a career? Do because you, you can do both. Part of it, you know, you can fast track stuff all you want. You got to be lucky. You got to be good. You got to put a lot of work in, and it's a lot of work that you're not going to be in the studio. Yeah. And I'm kind of of the opinion that meet people, do the work, put the time in, and go from there. That's where I am with it. I I've never written a grant in 25 to 30 years of being a working artist. I've never written a grant. I'd rather sell a painting or a drawing and make the money than to than to sit down and write about it. I, I just want to make work. And I don't, you know, going back to our earlier conversation, it's part of the reason I never wanted to go to school. I hate that process. Let the critics write about it. Let someone else write it. Let the curator write about it. Right. I don't need to write about it. Everybody that listens to this is going to be like, no, you need to, you need to write about it. I, I take notes. I do a lot of notes. <laughs> and anyone is welcome to take those notes and make something <laughs> beautiful out of it. But I'd rather go to the studio and figure it out in the studio. Sure. Yeah, well, that's all I'm, you know, again, just it's the ping pong ball in the head in terms of this whole notion of career and... Uh, I just, I feel like we're at this moment where obviously the schools are uh, promoting that you're be able to be articulate, 
able to write about your work, which is great when people sure. do it and it's honest, yeah. when it's yeah. just to, again, hit the flavor of the week or, you know, that's, that, that's a waste of time. And not everybody can do that. I write stuff. Saskia's like, you, when you're just like conscious thought writing, it's great. It's fantastic. Total crap half the time, but it's really good. <laughs> and I'm like, she's like, you get some nice things out. And I'm like, well, that's when someone else can, and she often will write things for me to, I'll, to take my notes and whatever, but I just don't want to do it. It's frustrating to me. I think visually, I don't think in that, uh, in that text form. And, but that's just me. Some people are I think it's a lot of people. I just, I kind of wonder at times, like just talking to various artists, I think, I wonder if that's an impediment in this day and age. Like you're, it's almost as if, you know, we are expected yeah. to just yeah. be suddenly like you're, it feels like you should be like in a marketing agency given a pitch. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, this is art. Yeah. This is, yeah. Yeah. let's have some room for um, interpretation and, and well, experience. I and I guess I'm that makes people simple. very uncomfortable. I like people to see the work. Respond to the work. Ask me questions. Done. The focus shifts to a book that has ruffled more than a few feathers. Economist Brian Kaplan's 2018 book, The Case Against Education. Why the education system is a waste of time and money. Having recently been discussed by Joe and Matthew offline, Matthew is eager to hear Scott's perspective. The book is The Case Against Education. Brian Kaplan okay. is the author. All right. And the argument that he's making, and let me first qualify this by saying mm. there is much to gain from education, from higher education, from graduate school, from PhD, from the networks that you gain from that, from the uh, conversation that you have, the interaction, the dialogue, all of that. You can't put a dollar value on that, all right? So that, we're not questioning that, okay? But Brian Cap, no, 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 no. The premise of this book, The Case Against Education, is, okay, what does the education system do for us now? And what happens when we look at it from like a, a serious like return on investment standpoint? Because so many people go into debt to go to school uh, for, a, you know, thinking that there will be a career at the end of it. And in many cases, as I've seen personally, people cannot even pay, you know, the job that you get can't even pay the note on the, uh, on the, on the education. So the big concept here is that what the education system produces is credentials rather than true education. Mm -hmm. And so we have a credentialism that occurs in many fields, not all fields. Um, and those credentials then signal to employers and others that you are employable or that you have you know, something to offer. Something to offer. Or then, something to profit from. He says in this book, education also signals conformity. The worker's grasp of and submission to social expectations. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how does that, before we dig into anything else, how does that play into some of the stuff we've been talking about here? Most artists that are going to be working at a gallery uh -huh. today 
are going to have some kind of arts education. Uh-huh. To what degree? It varies. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I don't know how important it is to making work. And again, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. I don't know. You could still make work without all of that. And, you know, when, when, <laughs> and I've done it a couple times, been at different... I remember at Auburn University one time I was talking and uh, doing a show down there, and they asked me to do a, a talk or a lecture, and I said, you, you know... Auburn University probably doesn't want to hear this, but you don't really need to be here right now. You could just be making work, and you could just be doing... They eat that at that one, and everyone just kind of... Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, the students are like... "Mm." But when Eric Fischel was at uh, Lamar Dodd, uh, he just lit the room on fire, and he's like... And he looked, and he's kind of got that Jeff Bridges dude thing going. He's like, "Yeah, I think you guys should just Jeff not Bridges pay thing. your student loans." And everyone's just like, "Badass, man!" You yeah. know, like, "Wow," says you who lives out in the Hamptons, and you know. Yeah, but I mean, I I I say that because I I I'm doing my thing without doing any of that. Like, I don't have student loans. I never went to school for right. it. So there is that. I you know, it's like. You go to school to be a plumber? Like, you can make 60 to 100 grand a year being a plumber right now. Think of the people that you hang out with right now that you respect or the people that you put in that show. The people that are making work, they're going to make work regardless of whether they you know, went to Absolutely. school or not. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like I, and the, the biggest thing I hear on any level, uh, BFA, MFA, people are always like, man, like I didn't... I, no one showed me how to do this or that. Mm. There's always that. And it's like, it's not a tech school. Like, you, I mean. Right. And yeah. maybe it should be more of a tech school. But, but it's there if you want. I don't know. It, every situation's different. But um, So one of the questions Brian Kaplan asks is, is school really the skill factory that we as a culture make it out to be? Is it the skill go. factory that it maybe used to be? Yeah, but you know, the interesting part of all of that is now you have so many kids coming out with such extreme degrees of education, they have no experience. Correct. And suddenly, you have an internship somewhere? you have any kind of experience whatsoever? Yeah. Have you worked at Walmart? Have you done an internship at Art Papers? Have you done an internship at the High or the yeah. Contemporary? Right. And, you know, I mean... You get, what, a thousand kids doing this? So it, it, it also points out in this book, it says um, what school does for us is, you know, not so much the work ethic as the school ethic. The two ethics do not perfectly coincide. Both school and work teach you to follow orders and cooperate with others, yet they define and measure success differently. School elevates abstract understanding over practical results, passing exams over passing the market test, and fairness over dollars and cents. And when I think about your history, you listen, gained skills I, early on that you couldn't have gotten. Listen, I the first show that I ever installed was a Peter Halley show. It was early paintings. And they blew my mind. But the funniest thing that I took away from that situation was how he made his stretcher bars. 
And, you know, it, it's funny. Artists spend so much time looking at the front of paintings. The good ones look at the back. And the, the like, I remember the first time I looked at the, uh, when I worked at the Des Moines Art Center, they have um, Jasper John's Tennyson painting. And for anyone that saw the Met show a couple of years ago, it was the first painting in the show when you walked in. I've seen the back of that painting. I could probably draw you a picture of the back of that painting. But there's something to be said about you're not just learning how it was made. You're learning where that painting has been. You're, you're seeing the labels and the stickers on the back. The provenance for it is all there. There's measurements on there. There's, whatever, there's information on there. I'm never going to open a book and see that information. Yeah. No. They have, that art center also has uh, Francis Bacon's Pope painting, the, the, like the Pope painting that's in all of the, I don't remember the title of it, mm-hmm. but um, it's in all of the, the art history books. No. It's the Screaming Pope painting. Yeah. And it is quintessential Bacon. Yeah. And I could just stand in front of that painting for an hour and just look at it and take it in. But the other thing that happens when you're in those situations like at museums or whatever, I remember seeing Carrie Mae Weems 25, 30 years ago. They were buying them. They were buying Nayland Blake then. They were buying all these people that are just like on the forefront now. 25 and 30 years ago. And it was an education that I could not have bought. Yeah, no, that's true. And and when I look at it, I made the right decision for me at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not a nuts and bolts. I don't write. I mean, I mean, I am a nuts and bolts guy, but I don't like, I don't like to write. I don't like to sit in class. I don't like... When I want to be somewhere and put my attention into something, it's not to listen to someone else. It's to do something. And, and I think that um, there are a lot of people in the art world out there like that. And there are a lot of them that get partway through school and they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. This, isn't, this is not for me. This is not what I wanted to do. And, you know, I have friends that walk out of art school with $100,000 in debt. That's yeah. crazy, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like... Yeah. But we could, you could have the same argument, though, in a lot of different majors. That's my, you know, I think sure. you, you were being overlay. Like, I, you're not hurting my feelings in any way or getting my... Well, I'm just getting your goat. Is it umbrage? Is it umbrage? umbrage? Take umbrage? Did you take umbrage? I didn't take umbrage. I was afraid you would take umbrage. I would take umbrage. <laughs> I, would take umbrage. <laughs> I was mean, afraid I would get your goat and you would take umbrage. You could say this, but I have uh. brothers. But if you, you know, <laughs> pick, pick, a, pick a liberal arts, you know, unless it's yeah. like finance yeah. or accounting or whatever... Um, you could make this. What if you're a French major? So this, bo- all right. So this book. <laughs> Why do, they, do these people? Oh, no, 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 like he, my wife, who's a Latin major. Every all right, couple so first years, of all, some, these number guys try to do the money ball thing. He is. They, all right, here's they the write these right, things. He, that he, you shouldn't he, bother to do. He is a prof- He is a professor. Of course, he is. Economics. Uh, George Mason, and. Um, he, what he is doing is he's looking at this and he's saying, all right, let's just really break these numbers down. So he has the different categories of usefulness, medium usefulness, and like 
no usefulness. <laughs> art, visual art is at the dead bottom, right? I mean, there's just no art. But and, and then <coughs> well, some other be wrong. And by usefulness, uh, we're talking about uh, let's say skills. Like a well, def- what you want is a well-defined career in a field that helps uh, society function. You make stuff. You work. You know. You have real skills. Okay. All right. So when you look at like the you know your return on investment is not as high. Well, I'm, it's is non-existent actually in in the ones that are there's no usefulness, right? But in the in the upper echelon, agriculture is one of the areas. Engineering, of course. Uh, you know, tech skills, those kinds of things. But this, the sense that I get is that you gain those skills, you go out there, you get the job experience, and that's really what you build on. But it goes back to the person and whether you go to school or not. I'm thinking like a successful college experience to me is you figure out beyond just getting the grade, you know, the, the internships, yeah. like what all the experience you can get. Yeah. And the network. And, and, yeah. and whether you're studying French or except for business, which, of course, there seems to be this gilded path there. Business is in the middle. You but, I mean, like, I, I still think there is value, though, in, in say, the, the arts in terms of creative problem-solving. Not for everybody. There are a lot of folks that are just like, hey, I like to, you know. Like, now, I'm a big believer in that, and I'm a big believer in the liberal arts. But it, However, it's the person. The research did not bear that out. I'm just putting it out there. I'm I sorry. Know. But, I mean, that's one of those well, where, like, I know why I love this guy, because he's always, like, that's when the filter just goes up, and you're like, okay, yeah. great. So this guy, I hope he makes a lot of money and buys a yeah. late house off that book. Like, fine. So here's, so, here's, so here's his thing. Here's his, here's his shtick. Is anyone can go and attend his classes free of charge. Anyone okay. is welcome in his classroom at any time. There are no takers. Let's go. Because Let's do a brain fuzz the intervention. Point, the point, the point <laughs> that he's making is that it's about the credential, not the actual education. I I, I don't know. I disagree. Think about that. Think about that. No, I, I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't disagree with that. What I disagree with is that that that's such that, a blanket statement, though. What is? To say it's all about the credential, of course, who's not? No one's going to turn that willingly. It's like turn down a credential at the same time to turn down. Obviously, I'm going into like personal experience, but like to I know plenty of people with credentials that are douchebags. Absolutely, I'm not saying that makes you, but I'm like, but if you, it, it's one of those things, like it's not going to hurt you to have it. But that's not like in my limited scope here. I'm just looking at my time in Athens, like. Wow, to be thrown into this pressure cooker with such a disparate group of people now, and not go into debt over it because it's a research, you know, three-year right, program. Right, right. Like, to me, that's like, yeah, there's no, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, and I'm not arguing against But that. still, no you can have the credentials, but what are you going to do with them? The credential is, is just, answer, what I'm saying is it doesn't hurt to have that. What I'm saying, though, what's invaluable, though, is like, wow, like, I would not be making what I'm making right now without being thrown in with All those right. people. As much as I self-teach, read, etc. Just to play so, advocate of the devil. Alright, listen to me. Here. Sweet. Alright. How many stories have you heard where someone, independent thinker, creative spirit, they go, they go through graduate school, crushed. The work sure. at the end of it. It's like the favorite 
How many stories have you heard of that? It's a popular. Uh, How many do you want? I, I I'm just I'm asking. Because you hear it. You, it Listen, I case, a, you, the credential may not hurt, but maybe it did hurt. But that's like how many people come out of like Harvard, you know, business school? Like, how come you don't hear those stories? Like, I got crushed in my MBA program. Oh yeah, no, I've heard those. Okay, I have heard those. Yeah, but those folks usually aren't, uh, you know. But like, yeah, the art, the art, the the wounded art student is almost like anyone who attended Catholic oh, yeah. school. Like, man, I separated from Catholic school. Oh yeah. All right. Cannon fodder. <laughs> but then maybe yeah. all right. Either you weren't <laughs> supposed to be an artist, or your teacher is an asshole. I don't know. And there's a lot of. I mean, that's my the one thing yeah. I will say. Tenure should be gone. I've said it. A, it in terms of you want really dynamic teaching, maybe somebody shouldn't be there for life, no matter what. I agree with that. Yeah. In any in any discipline. The book's an interesting book. Uh-huh. There are some interesting arguments. I'm in just there. curious, what excites you about that argument? It's that aspect that punk rock, um, going back to the biennial thing. When I when I look at the when I look at what's in a biennial, I don't see a group of independent thinkers. So, so it goes back of, to this careerism, which we've been talking the, about. There's the careerism okay. aspect to it, but then there's also the just this homogenized, again, he says the conformist, what you end up with is people that have, have you, sure. you found that can be conformists. Sure. And, and in the arts, that that is, that's the exact opposite of what you should have. <laughs> it's still... Like, what's the work? Who is the person? What are they saying? And then if they happen to have... you know, Like, to me, it's not like the degrees... Uh, degree or multiple, like, are needed. The credentials? Right. Like, that has no bearing. So, like, I mean, whether somebody... Mm-hmm. Um, it should. No, However, it shouldn't. No, I don't think okay. that suddenly makes the work more valuable or better. I think it can. For, like, again, speaking... I don't think it can. For me, mm-hmm. I, needed, I needed what I got. Did other shit well, it's for not years. the degree that makes it better. It's the process. Right. No, I would agree with that. Process, but just being exposed, whatever. But, yeah, but I mean, I that's still all think part of someone, the process. Someone could be, you know, ensconced in some, you know, horrible warehouse somewhere making work and, you know, with no internet connection and it could still be the greatest thing ever. And AC? Maybe, they got AC? I hope they do. But I don't have AC or an internet connection in my you know, studio. That's, that's the saving... AC. I think the internet. You got to keep that out. Of keep. The I can't. Internet I can't out. do AC on that size space. Yeah. There's. There are things to be done out there that aren't necessarily putting a brush on a canvas and mm-hmm. getting yeah. something done. One of the arguments that could be made, probably from this book, is that you know if you were to get out into the workforce sooner, rather than put it off with education. I agree. You with would that. learn that. I do agree I with that. quickly. Like if you know, you agree with that. Hundred percent. I did. I did undergrad in four flat. It was not. I don't necessarily think that anybody needs to go right from high school into college. Yeah. Let alone my my great pet peeve. Go find something to do. College straight into a uh, graduate program. I think that should be. Yeah. yeah. For sure. No one. I think you should have for to sure take two go years. out and some of them. Okay. Go. Yeah. I think that's just, and there's plenty of people that will have the skills and there, but I just still think like, fine, but go. Well, look, some of the statistics, if you saw, it, it's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing. 
about the diminished returns if you don't work right after graduation. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Fascinating stuff. You said something about future projects. <laughs> so what you learned from the last show and then what you're working... Are, is, is the new stuff informed by... You mean my own work? Or in the new What's project? Next? What's next? Come on, you're only as good as your next idea. Uh, well, the next idea is a big idea. This is the big one. So there was a tease, there were some keys. I thought it was another studio move. Is it the, you thought it was a studio move. And 32. No, I can't I can't give away, I can't give away a bunch of information on it yet. Because right. I'm still going through the uh You're gonna give it to Burnaway or ATL list. first? Yep, they're gonna they're Come gonna on. scoop it. No, I I, I um I've decided that I want to start doing these shows periodically. I'm not going to say it's once a year, but maybe once every 18 months or so. And this is not going to be a little show. This is, um, if I can... Trying to figure out how to be discreet about this because there's still a lot of things that have to oh, happen. Oh, don't, don't, but, don't, uh, don't, just, don't, don't, just, no, no, no. And we can do it closer to it. Yeah, we don't. Well, we should to, definitely do it closer to it because you're going to be um, our man in uh, the old fourth ward. Okay, so let's do this then. I would love to um, talk to you guys offline. about it offline. All right, we'll talk so about that it. we can so that we can uh, um, prepare. Uh, we can tease for the next one. Okay. Connect with Joe and Matthew, take a look at show notes, and discover other episodes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. Engage and join the dialogue on social media with hashtag brainfuzzpodcast, and on their organically growing Instagram, brainfuzzpodcast. Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to Brainfuzz Podcast on your favourite podcast platform, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify and Stitcher.